Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest has spent more than two decades traveling across the country to report on America's mental health system for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. A Pulitzer Prize finalist, she has won dozens of accolades, including two George Polk Awards, the Robert F. Kennedy Award, awards from investigative reporters and editors, and two National Journalism Awards. Her debut memoir, While You Were Out, An Intimate Family Portrait of Mental Illness in an Era of Silence, is out now. Please welcome Mae Kissinger. Hey, Meg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, I cannot wait to hear you read from your book, but I'd love to, I always like to ask, what is um, your book from from your perspective, your, your book while you were out? Yeah, uh, so I think I would best describe it as testimony. <laughs> so it's, it is bearing witness to what it was like to live in a family uh, with a substantial amount of mental illness, uh, a fun-loving family uh, in suburban Chicago in the 1960s and early 70s. Lots of love, lots of adventures and misadventures, but also a lot of mental illness. Yeah, I was blown away reading it just about how you portrayed everything in such a kind and an honest way though. Um, it was like we, your family and, and how you allowed readers into your, into your world. Um, I have some questions I would love to ask you, but I would love to invite you to read a portion of it. What section would you be reading from today? Sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually do two little chunks from the first chapter. Uh, and this, the, first chapter really orients you to the cast of characters in my family. And there's a lot of them. So I'm not going to read all of that. I'm only going to read you a first couple, a first couple of paragraphs from the beginning of the book. And then I'm going to go to the end of that first chapter after I've introduced everybody, but I think it'll give a little taste of what we're after here. Terrific. I'll turn it over to you. Okay. When we were little, my sister Patty and I like to pretend that ferocious tigers lurked in the space between our twin beds, just waiting to rip us to shreds. They'd stalk us at night with their razor-sharp fangs, growling and snorting and licking their chops. Dip a toe or finger down too low and snap. They'd chomp it off clean to the bone. We'd bounce from bed to bed, shrieking as we flew through the air. Pipe down, you two, or I'll come in there and beat you to a bloody pulp my mother would yell from her bedroom down the hall. The invisible tiger scared us. Our mother did not. And then I'm going to go all the way down to the bottom of that same chapter after I introduce everybody and pick it up with, Indeed, one day the tigers did come. They were not real tigers, of course, but a menace just as ferocious, with power just as deadly. They scratched and clawed until they made mincemeat of us all. Some in our family were devoured from head to toe, 
never to be seen again. A sister ripped to shreds and swallowed whole. Then, years later, a brother snatched before our very eyes. We could see it happening. We just couldn't do anything to save him. Or maybe we were too scared to try. Those of us who were left to hide, but the beasts were relentless. Just when we thought we were free, one would spring toward us, and then another and another. Eventually, we were all mauled and mangled. No one escaped unscathed. In time, we learned that if we were to survive, we couldn't just shiver under our covers the way Patty and I used to. We'd each have to figure out a way to fight back, wrestle those fuckers to the ground, pound them into submission once and for all. If not, they'd surely come back and get us too. Thank you so much, Meg. I, I want to start with, um, I, I, I talk a lot about like writing background and how, how people got into writing. You are a, a storied journalist with many awards and nominations and, and you've done a lot of work, but when did you want to become a writer? Was it a lifelong dream? When did that kind of become your path? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I always love to write, you know, I'm a fidgety person. <laughs> I was a fidgety kid. I was a kid in the back of the classroom because in those days there were so many of us counterintuitively, the nuns would just stuff us in the back, the naughty kids. So it was me and all the, the antsy boys in the back of the class. But And I was bad at math, and I couldn't pay attention in history, and I sure couldn't do any science experiments. Um, way too fidgety for that. But one thing that I always really loved doing was writing. And we had a little uh, closed-circuit TV station in our uh, little Catholic school back in the 1960s. Somebody's father was a fat cat at the local television affiliate and donated some close or close circuit TV. So once a month, you, we could compete for the right to read our story on on the telly, and um, I often got picked. And so that was my one kind of like little academic shining star. So that just stayed with me, and I always knew that I wanted to be a reporter. I'm just nosy enough, uh, and there was a lot of material in my family <laughs> to keep me engaged. So um, I always. I always wrote uh, as a way of helping me understand the world. And um, anyway, then I went on to become a newspaper reporter and I spent 40 years, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on, on the daily newspaper writing about various things. And then you eventually start to report on like mental health in America. Was right. that because of your childhood or did you write in yeah, spite of it? Absolutely. Yeah, maybe a little of both. Yeah, <laughs> good distinction there. I I think it was um I, yeah, maybe more of maybe more of the latter than the former, but but I um obviously I was, you know, I, for obvious reasons I was drawn to the whole question of why is what is mental illness? Why do we do such a crummy job in this country of taking care of people who are mentally ill? And I watched that system you know, fail my, my family. I, I watched as my brother and sister died from their illness and, and we didn't talk about it. You know, I grew up in an era uh, of silence, mm -hmm. you know, as the, the subtitle of the book is an intimate family portrait of mental illness in an era of silence. 
And so I just journalistically was quite curious about why is that so? How How is it that we don't have a system to take care of people with mental illness? So that was enough to fill a whole career. Um, and it really took off after my brother died. So the week before my brother Danny died, he sent me a letter and he, and he had always denied that he'd had mental illness. He was quite angry when somebody would suggest that he did. And he just felt the sting of that discrimination and the shame. Anyway, he wrote me a letter and he talked about very candidly about what it's like to, for him to live with, with, uh, he had bipolar. So what it was like to have, you know, those wide swings of moods. Um, and, and then he said something that just at the time I thought was so cheesy. He said, you know, only love and understanding can conquer this. I didn't know it was a suicide note. He was dead a week later. Um, and so in the years since, I just have had a lot of opportunity to reflect on those words. And I see that he was right, you know, that it was that we don't understand mental illness and we don't. So how can we love the people who have that? So anyway, that's when I really kind of, that really set me on a path to focus my reporting in a, in a sharper way about the outrage, the scandal of how we treat people in America who have mental illness. Yeah. And when, when did you decide or when did it happen that you were going to write this book? Like it, it's a very yeah. intimate story and putting it out there yeah. in the world. Yeah. Right. Yes, it is very intimate. Whew. I reveal <laughs> some stuff in there that first of all, I didn't even know when I set out to write the book. Sure. And then I don't know. Once I started writing, I kind of couldn't, I just kept going. I kept digging, digging, digging deeper. Um, I think when I realized it was really a book was um, in about 2013. So 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was really at the peak of my kind of hitting on all cylinders journalistically. I was just, you know, cranking out these series one after another of just, you know, again, scandal and outrage and really horrific stories of, people being mistreated. And I really kind of collapsed, you know, I think I had my own kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a breakdown, but I definitely was starting to become so stressed out and so overwhelmed by the fact that the system is so intractable and my stories were moving the needle a little bit, but I, I think I was coming to understand that my journalism could only take me so far. Mm -hmm. So I really, I ended up exhausted lying on the sands of Lake Michigan. And I had thrown my notebook across the newsroom and I'd stormed out of the newsroom and I'd driven, you know, I had no idea where I was going, but I ended up on a beach and my editor kept texting me, you know, are you okay? Where are you? Are you safe? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just having a nervous breakdown. I'll be back in the newsroom in 20 minutes. But I realized then that I, I want to tell this story in the most personal way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, daily newsrooms, daily newspapers are necessary for a vibrant democracy. But, but I think there's another way to tell a story too. And I, I, I felt like I'm going to talk about my family because they're the funniest, warmest, most interesting people I know. Mm -hmm. So. 
Then I, I thought, okay, shifting gears, I'm going to, I'll write this as a book. And as you're writing, you, you alluded to, you discovered things you weren't even aware of. What was it like for you mentally, emotionally discovering all this, revisiting all of this? How did, how did it feel going through the drafts? It was so intense. So the first thing I did when I set my mind to, to telling our family story was to get in touch with my brothers and sisters. Mm. So there's a lot of us and Mm -hmm. still uh, we have, you know, two are gone, but there's still six of us left and we're getting up there. You know, I'm 60. I just turned 66. So I'm no spring chicken, even though this is my debut book. Uh, But anyway, I, I uh, contacted each of them. I love my brothers and sisters very much. And I, we have great, a great relationship, but we've been through a lot and a lot of sorrow and, mm-hmm. and a lot of humiliation, you know, a lot of what happened was very embarrassing. Mental illness is not for the faint of heart. So I knew the journalist in me knew that if I was going to tell this story, I need to tell it warts and all, you know, unvarnished. And I wanted to approach this the same way I approach an investigative piece. So I knew I was going to be getting the police records. I was going to be getting mental uh, you know, the, the mental health records. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going full tilt and I didn't know what I was going to find, but I checked in with them first and said, you know, if any of you have a problem with this, I'm just going to bail because it wasn't worth it to me to sacrifice a relationship with them. On the other hand, I really, really wanted to tell the story happily for me, they were all in. So, um, so that's what I did. And, you know, so reading, the police reports of my brother and sister's suicides, you know, that took a whole bottle of sangria and a night swinging on the hammock in the backyard to let some of that sink in. Um, Also unearthing, I was amazed that I got some records from my sister's hospitalization in a public mental health, uh, really an asylum in those days from 1976 but anyway, that was, um, it was fascinating, but it was also jarring. I had to remember this was my sister who was being described as, you know, this patient. So it was a lot, you know, I had to, I had to do a lot of walking, a lot of jumping in Lake Michigan. And I had to, I had to really take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have your siblings read the book uh, since you completed oh, yeah. it? How are they feeling yeah. about it? So, well, you could ask them, but what they tell me is that they love it. So, okay. you know, I I was checking in with them all the time because, you know, this is intense. And as I say in the author's note, right in the very first page, actually the first sentence of the whole thing is, if any of them pulled a stunt like this, I'd file a restraining order against them. So, you know, it's it's tough stuff. But they um, they agree that this is, if you're going to really bear witness, if you're going to describe what it's like, you really need to tell, you know, that, that terrible stuff happens. Some beautiful stuff happened too. Some very joyful and, and you know, just delightful stuff. It was as sad as some of that was. A lot of it was really fun to go mm. back and remember my brother and sister who have been long gone. 
And in our grief, in our unresolved grief, you know, we didn't, I didn't, I didn't take time to kind of properly mourn their deaths, but writing this book finally let me do that. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I, I, mental health and mental illness and is, I mean, you've written about it, so, you know, it's, it's so overlooked for so long. And I think we're just now finally beginning to understand how to approach and, and treat and heal. And we have a long way to go. There's so much unanswered with, with things. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was oh, sorry. Say yeah. I'm now a trainer for the DART Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. So I, I train journalists about how to write about mental illness and and the right words to use and the uh you know that that you that people who suffer are not villains neither are they saints they're mm-hmm. human beings you know and we need to write about people in all their humanity and um i've i've always been propelled by the mantra you know that we need to treat people with schizophrenia or bipolar in the same way that we do, you know, people with cancer or heart disease. Uh, and we need to give them full-throated, you know, healthcare and support. And and mm-hmm. we do that for other illnesses. We need to do it also for mental illness. That's yeah. my little soapbox speech. Thank you no, for letting me do yes. that. I, I 100% agree. I feel even with like addiction, um, we, we view cancer as like I don't know the right terminology but like we put it on a pedestal if someone has cancer millions of dollars of research walks but if you have if you're bipolar or schizophrenic best of luck it feels like most times you know so yeah they call it the no casserole illness right you don't get the casseroles or you get cards or the flowers yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and just wrapping up, I'd love to ask about journalism in general. You mentioned you, you're you're at Columbia. You help train journalists. Um, how do you feel journalism has changed? This is a very loaded and broad question, but changed from when you first started to now. What is how what how has journalism evolved? Oh yeah. So in so many wonderful ways, in some sad ways. I mean, the saddest way is the the evaporation of Mm -hmm. local newsrooms. And I really worry about the state of our democracy when we don't have a robust uh, team of watchdogs, you know, really looking out for what's going on. Uh, So uh, that's, that's the unfortunate and sad thing. It's it's a serious threat. And it's something Mm -hmm. that I worry about a lot. The delightful stuff or the good stuff is that, you know, we're hearing more uh, a variety of voices when I started as a reporter in 1979, it was white men owning and running the presses. Now, white men are people too, but there's that does not count for a lot of America. And and many more voices are now being heard. And uh, it's it's long overdue and and we still have a ways to go. There still is a disproportional amount of people who call the shots mm-hmm. um, that are not fully representative of what the American population looks like, but we're getting so much better at that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think a lot of what day beautiful is about when I interview authors, it's one me learning about different experiences in different worlds and, and everything. And 
being able to hear these voices, these new, these new authors, these emerging authors, uh, or seasoned writers like yourself who have a book out finally, you know, it's, it, it really has like taught me so much about life in the past, like five years I've done this. So, oh yeah. yeah, people have, everybody's got a book in them, whether they can pull it off and get it out into the world is another matter, but, exactly. um, there are so many rich experiences that we can all learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you have written a full length, you know, a memoir, are, is there any interest in other nonfiction reported book length stories? Oh my God. I am. You sound like my editor. What have you, what have you got for me lately? You know, you'd work your head off and get this like huge front page story. And then my editor will say, what's coming for tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, I am exhausted. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm delighted. I'm really excited for the conversations about this book. Yes. And really what I've tried to do here is, is, you know, issue a big invitation for people to talk about their own stories. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited for those conversations. And if something comes out of that, another book, we'll see. Uh, but for right now, I'm just, I'm allowing myself to just marinate in the joy that this puppy is in the world. Thank you so much to Mike Kissinger for joining the Day Beautiful podcast, first taste reading series. Her debut memoir, While You Were Out, is out now. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.